right. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all for being here today. For those of you that are visitors, my name is Brent Fugit. I'm the senior pastor here at Byfield Parish Church. And I just want to say I'm so glad that this is the temperature that it is in here. Earlier in the week when they were saying it was going to be 95 today, and we don't have air conditioning in this building, I was a little bit, a little bit not pleased to be thinking about that. So uh, on that note, actually, uh, our summer service time does drop to 9 o'clock. So for the, those of you that are planning ahead, that'll be happening uh, a few weeks down the road in mid-June. When I was a sophomore in college, I needed a job. So I decided I would work as a substitute teacher for several local high schools. Now, some of you are teachers, and you're probably thinking, that seems a little bit messed up. And yes, it was, in fact, a little bit messed up. I lived in Tennessee at the time, and to substitute teach in Tennessee, you had to have two qualifications, all right? You needed, a high, I guess, three. Three qualifications. A high school diploma, no criminal record, and a heartbeat. And I, I had two of those, and I didn't have the other one. So I signed up to teach and uh, started getting calls pretty quickly. Part of that was because I signed up at several local inner city high schools. Those were close to where I was living at the time. And as a 20-year-old, not really wanting to try all that hard, I thought, where will the expectations be low? And that's where I went to. <laughs> the classes I subbed for were often confused by my presence. Students would come in and they would think that I was a new student. And then the bell would ring and I would stand up and I would introduce myself as their substitute teacher for the day. And they thought that was weird because I was only a couple of years older than some of the kids that were in my class. I also kind of had a baby face at the time. Maybe I still do. I don't know. And uh, so they thought I was younger than them in many cases. And there was always at least one or two kids in the class that would try to test me in some way. Sometimes they would cheat on an assignment. Sometimes they would ask to go to the bathroom, whatever the case may be. But I remember this one particular situation where a kid tried to test my authority because it was just so hilarious to me. It's still funny to me now. This, this kid in my class, he decided to test my authority, whether or not I could handle the situation, by making fun of me. Okay. So remember, this is inner city high school, and the majority of the students were African American. And one of the things that was very important to these students was clean tennis shoes clean sneakers. So they would actually carry their shoes to school in like a plastic grocery store bag. And then when they got to school, they would put on their clean shoes. And so this student, he's, he's prioritizing clean shoes. So I'm standing up there. He looks at me and he says, your shoes are dirty. I said, that's true. I have dirty shoes on. He was like, you could tell he was confused because what he didn't understand is that I had gone to the hippie high school, right? And at the hippie high school, dirty shoes, that was what you were supposed to do. You had to work really hard to show that you weren't trying really hard in my high school by having dirty shoes. It was actually embarrassing to have clean shoes. But this kid didn't get that. So he says to me again, your shoes, man, they're dirty. And I was like, what's your point? 
what, what are you trying to communicate to me? So he did this a couple more times. Eventually, he gave up. Now, you might at this point be wondering, what is the point of this story? Okay? And I will tell you, this story does have a point. The student who made fun of my shoes was trying to imply in a roundabout way that I did not have sufficient status for my authority to be respected. My shoes were an indicator of my low status, which meant that he could disrespect me. This may seem silly to us, but every cultural situation has some means of who, of establishing who has status, who should be listened to, and who doesn't. Those with status have authority, and those that lack it can be disregarded. Throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul's status, and by extension, his authority, have been in question in the Corinthian church because of the way he presents himself, it doesn't line up with the Corinthians' cultural expectations. In today's verses, Paul continues to explore the relationship between worldly status and the gospel authority of Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians we're only reading a short passage today. We will read from verse 15 of chapter 9 through verse 18. Those verses can be found on page 900 if you're using the Pew Bible, and they will be projected on the screen behind me as well. Hear the word of the Lord. But I have made you no use of any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward that in preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Who do you listen to? Who do you ignore? Why do you expect people to listen to you? These are questions that every person has answers to, even if those answers are implicit rather than explicit. We listen to those that we think are worth listening to. Every day of our lives, we have to determine in some way who is worth listening to. The problem is, we are often bad at knowing who we should listen to. This was true for the Corinthians when Paul was writing to them. It is true 
for many people today. We need to be aware of the basis on which we think others are worthy of authority. If we're not careful, we will end up listening to the wrong people, just like the Corinthians did. You see, the Corinthians, they are obsessed with worldly status. Their lives are built around the pursuit of it. They reject Paul, how he lives his life, what he teaches, and who he is, because he refuses to play what in their minds is the only game in town. The Corinthians are operating under the mistaken impression that Paul's refusal to play the status game is an indictment of who he is. It must mean that he is a loser. That is the only reason he speaks the way he does, works a blue-collar job, and lives humbly. Paul's low social status means that he is not somebody worth listening to. For some of the Corinthians listening to Paul, it would be demeaning. It would lower their own status. It is for this reason they have turned to other teachers who appear more worthy of authority because of their status. Throughout this letter, Paul has been walking a fine line. He wants the people of Corinth to listen to him. To get them to listen, he must establish his status with them. In pre the previous verses, he has pointed out that he is an apostle that has every right to demand compensation for his efforts. While he wants to be listened to, Paul doesn't want to validate the underlying beliefs his audience holds about how status is achieved. Every time Paul makes the argument he has status, he follows up by rejecting the privileges that come with status. The Corinthians are confused. They can't understand why anyone would refuse the privileges that come with status. The privileges are how you know who is winning the status game. The disconnect is that Paul is not interested in worldly status. He thinks it is a worthless thing to pursue. While Paul is undeniably right, it was hard for the Corinthians to accept, their, to accept that their pursuit of status was ridiculous. The way status is established in 2022 is different from the way status was gained in Corinth. They wanted seats of honor at banquets. We prefer social media likes. They sought after possessions that would make others think highly of them. We, okay, that, that one's actually the exact same. 
It is not much easier for modern people to accept that the status that is so often pursued lacks any real value. It's a mirage. It's a myth. A person's pursuit of status is built on the desire to have other people acknowledge that they are worth respecting. We all want to be thought of as worth listening to. Human perspectives are so limited. The person that gets celebrated today will often be forgotten by history tomorrow. Think about the things that give status in our world and how ridiculous they are. Being really attractive, athletic, or wealthy all give people status in our world. Beauty fades, as does athletic ability. However much money a person has, they can't take it to the grave with them. Consider one of the most, if not the most, status-focused environments that exist in modern life. This may be traumatic for some of you, I'll warn you. Think about middle school. No reasonable adult looks back on middle school and thinks to themselves that it matters one bit what their status was when they were 13. Can you remember? I remember. I remember being that age and how incredibly important status felt to me. I pretended not to care what others thought of me, but I, I thought about it all the time. I wanted so badly, so badly to be on the middle school basketball team, because if you were on the middle school basketball team, that meant you were cool. And I practiced every day, every day in the driveway, because I wanted that status. And I remember that my dad, he had this boxy minivan, Chevy Astro. You may remember Chevy Astros. Chevy Astros were never cool, okay? And I remember trying to hide from the other kids at school the embarrassment that my dad drove a Chevy Astro van. In retrospect, it's ridiculous that I cared at all what any kid at my school thought. They were all almost as insecure as I was. Worldly status is as ridiculous now as it ever was back in middle school. It is just insecure people wanting other insecure people to affirm that they are worth listening to based on their achievement of certain arbitrary goals. Status in this world doesn't last. It doesn't really matter. One day, we will look back on what we are doing right now and we will shake our heads that we ever cared at all just like we do when we remember middle school. 
Paul is not worried about his social status in relation to men. His concern is his status in God's kingdom. He writes, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul cares about his status so much he would die to maintain it. This is not a flippant statement. When I say I would kill for a candy bar, none of you has any reason to be worried. I'm just saying I would really like a candy bar. Paul repeatedly backs up his words with actions. In his travels, he faces death many times. He never backs down. His whole personal identity, his status, is built on preaching the gospel. It is what gives his life meaning and purpose. For Paul, the sacrifices he makes are insignificant in relation to the glory he achieves. Paul's fixation on fulfilling his calling, his willingness to give up everything, including his life, it seems over the top to many. It isn't. Most people recognize that there are things worth dying for. Next Monday is Memorial Day, a day dedicated to remembering the ultimate sacrifice American soldiers and sailors have made in the history of this country. Many of those individuals willingly sacrificed their life based on the sincerely held belief that the United States was worth dying for. We honor such people as we should. We don't question their decision to enlist or to volunteer for a dangerous mission. Our response is based on a personal conviction that the United States is worth sacrificing for. It is even worth dying for. Paul's proclamation is a reflection of the importance of God's kingdom in his life. An existential battle is being waged. He is on the front lines doing his part. Nothing else matters as much as the mission he has been given. The question Paul's approach to life raises is whether we value our status in God's kingdom as much as we should. There are many people that claim to be Christians that lack any willingness to sacrifice their comfort or convenience, forget about their lives. They will work themselves to the bone to gain status at their job or put an immense amount of effort to having the best yard, the best grass in the neighborhood. They cannot be bothered to inconvenience themselves for status in God's kingdom. It is reasonable to wonder, when this is the case, how much God's kingdom is being valued at all. Paul's claim that he cares only about boasting in his kingdom status is followed up with a confusing statement. He says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. 
Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He just said he would rather die than be denied grounds for boasting. Now he's saying that preaching the gospel, which is the reason he can boast, gives him no grounds to do so. It seems like Paul's statements are inherently contradictory. Paul is making a point about why the Corinthians should listen to him. The reason to listen to him is that God has given him a job to do. He has been entrusted with a stewardship. Paul is not illogical or confused. The only thing he cares about is his status in Christ. It is not something that is a result of his efforts. He preaches out of the necessity laid upon him by God. Woe to him if he doesn't. Failure to preach would in some way be a rejection of the grace he has been shown. He doesn't go into what failure to do, what God has required of him, would result in. It is clear he doesn't even want to consider what this would mean. Paul is not motivated by concern over status. He has already been given an exalted status by God, giving him a role in spreading the gospel. Paul poses the question, what then is my reward? His answer is, then in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. To those focused on worldly status, this doesn't really sound like much of a reward. Paul is saying he is going to do something of no obvious benefit to himself while not taking advantage of what he deserves for his efforts. Refusing what is deserved in return is a part of the reward. When you have an abundance of something that somebody else lacks, being generous is satisfying. One time years ago, Anne and I were on a backpacking trip in Olympic National Park up in the Pacific Northwest. And we had all our food and everything, and we end up at this backcountry campsite, and there was a young college student there who was spending the summer doing trail maintenance on these backcountry trails. So he would, he would stay back in the woods for like a week or 10 days at a time. So we're sitting around this campfire chatting with this young kid, and I pull out a Snickers bar. I start eating the Snickers bar. You can just see this kid, the look in his eyes, the desire for the Snickers bar. And I had extra. And I was glad to share with him because sharing with him was its own source of satisfaction. At the core of God's heart is a desire to be generous. He has no lack. He exults in being generous. Christians who have been called by God to be generous should embrace this generosity as well. It is not by clinging to status 
that we, that we find our place in God's kingdom is by giving it away. For Paul, not taking advantage of the status conferred on him by his personal experience of the gospel is rewarding. He recognizes that in a small way, by doing for others, he's doing what God did for him. He's giving away the good news of grace. He gets to participate in, the, in its positive impact on the lives of Corinthians. By giving the gospel freely, Paul experiences the implications of the gospel for himself more fully. He will gladly pass up worldly status and its benefits. The ways his refusal to capitalize on status in this world have made his life harder are insignificant relative to that privilege of being a part of the gospel. He wants to experience God to the fullest extent possible. When it comes to God's kingdom, every Christian has the same opportunity. We all have personal access to the gospel. No Christian ever needs to worry about the well running dry. There is no lack of good that God wants us to know. However much gospel we give away, we have an unlimited source. Money may not grow on trees, but the grace that makes up the central message of the gospel was manifested on them. We have a status of abundance because of Jesus. Status is not something we need to hold on to like a miser. The more we become a conduit for the gospel, the more we enjoy the status that is inseparable from the gospel. By living out the gospel as Jesus Christ did, we come to a greater realization of our own status in Christ. This is no small matter. Paul cannot believe that oneness with God is possible for him. We should be equally in awe of that status. The more embracing our status in Christ motivates us, the less all the, all the competition, all the status, all the striving of this world will, will matter. Every worldly thing pales in comparison. When the high school student was making fun of my shoes all those years ago, I wasn't bothered. His attempts to make me feel bad were preposterous. My status was not tied up in the cleanliness of my shoes. I actually would have been embarrassed if it was. It would be easy for me to think that I have matured past such silly concerns. Unfortunately, I haven't. I am tempted to care about things that give me status in this world. Cars, vacation, homes, and education are all things I have looked to at different times in my life for this purpose. 
I want others to think that I am worth listening to. I want others to signal to me that my life is important. If I really want to have a status that matters, I should fully embrace the status I have been freely granted in God's kingdom through Christ. That is the only status that actually matters. Everything else is ridiculous. Everyone sitting in this room has that same opportunity to do what Paul talks about himself doing. He understood. He counted worldly status as insignificant. He willingly set aside anything that could operate as an impediment to the full realization of his status in God's kingdom. The challenge for us is to do the same. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that as we continue to move through this book of 1 Corinthians, that we would continue to be challenged to see ourselves, to see our own psychology, our own sin, our own issues in these pages, Lord. That your spirit would work through our lives and reveal to us, Lord, that there is a better way. That all our striving for status in this world is, is really wasted, Lord, but that you have given us, that you have made available to us a true status in Jesus Christ, our Lord.